episode 30 of Shanley and on Batman. Now before we get into our special discussion with Dr. Travis Langley, uh, I want to give a little disclaimer for this podcast. We had some technical issues with the uh, the computer equipment we were using. I'm not completely sure whose end it was on still at this point, but uh, I actually pushed the date of release back for this podcast because I was trying to trying to take care of some of the some of the crap and editing. Um, I worked most of the kinks out as best as I could, but I just want to warn you about the sound quality of this podcast. It is 100% and totally listenable. We had some clipping issues, like I said. I don't know whose end it was on, whether it was Shanley on Batman's or Dr. Langley's. Either way, it's not a big deal. Like I said, this podcast is 100% totally listenable, and I hope you enjoy episode number 30 of Shanley on Batman. Today it is our special honor and privilege to welcome a tenured professor of psychology at Henderson State University. He usually gives presentations on psychology of superheroes at conventions like San Diego Comic-Con. He also has written one of my new favorite books, Batman and Psychology, A Dark and Stormy Night. It is our privilege to welcome Dr. Travis Langley to Shanlin and Batman. Hello. So before we jump before we jump in, um, we... um what have you seen the Batman v Superman trailer? And if so, what are your thoughts on it so far? I think it's interesting that you call it Batman v Superman, which is what I call it too. Um because I think the people who are the most gung-ho and optimistic about it, they're calling it Batman versus Superman, the way it's meant to be. Um, those of us who are wary tend to call it Batman v Superman. As if we're, we're mocking it just by their choice of V. It's <laughs> VS! <laughs> right? That's true. I, I would like Superman to have had a, a real Superman movie and a real Superman sequel. Because uh, uh, this is... It's like they don't even have any faith in the character that invented superheroes uh, to to let him have his own movie. It's, they don't even have a Superman sequel lined up in their slate of DC movies. You know, they're, they're just moving him into, okay, let's bring in Batman, because we know Batman's worked. Batman works. It's, it's about all we've managed to make work in the movies forever. And so let's bring in Batman to have him fight. Uh, a lot of us wish it had been world's finest. Have a superhero team up. We've got superhero team movies, Avengers and Fantastic Four. We still have not had a superhero team up movie just where two get together and fight some bad guys. Even if there's a misunderstanding a little bit along the way. This is not just a misunderstanding. The, the story is Batman fighting Superman. And, and I, I think that's not the best way to introduce these, these, these characters and their relationship to the world. It's a Superman is not a grim, dark character. And there are many different takes on the character over the years, certainly. 
But you know, Smallville shows you can have the Boy Scout superhero, even if it's like if the show's not perfect, absolutely. But it lasted for ten years. It shows there's a ability <laughs> of ready to watch Boy Scout Superman. That's true too. Yeah. Um. Did you have you taken a look at that Jared Leto picture of uh the Joker yet? Have you seen that? I have seen that. What, what do you are you like liking it so far? Because there's been a lot of negative feedback so far on the interweb. I actually it depends on the story. Uh, when people ask me who's your favorite Joker, it's like well each of those Jokers was right for the particular story. You know, you can't take Caesar Romero and put him in Nola movie. You can't take Heath Ledger and Jack Nicholson even and swap them and have the same kind of story. Right. It's uh, they weren't interchangeable. Uh, you can easily swap Ledger and Nicholson, obviously, but right. uh, Nicholson was channeling a whole lot of uh, Cesar Romero, too, so it, uh, it depends on the story and what they're doing with the Joker. The Joker's crazy enough to do anything. We all know that. And if one day he got an ink pen and just heated it up and started marking all over himself, well, that's believable. Although, I, I would think it would have made more sense if the word damage had been reversed, then we would know he had done it to himself. But the Joker is smart. He, he was not stupid enough to have done it backwards, I guess. Right. That, that's, a, yeah, that's a cool way to look at it. Like, I, I wasn't turned off by the, the ink or the tattoos at all either. Like, I, I, I agree with that. Like, he's, he's psychotic and he's just mental enough to, like, do that to himself with nothing else to do, like being locked up, whatever. It's... A way to express himself. A lot like, of people. I heard a lot of people talk about that that uh, teardrop on his mm-hmm. face, and I, I was like, you know, he's a sad clown. Why wouldn't he have a teardrop tattooed on his face? So, I don't think there's anything sad about the Joker. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he doesn't have enough better qualities in him to be sad. He can he can mope and feel bad and depressed. He's had he, that's, he's been shown just feeling depressed and bored, uh, but uh, he hasn't ever been shown feeling sad. Unless you want to argue that the, the sad uh, comedian background and the Killing Joke is his definite background, but even within that graphic novel, The Killing Joke, you know, it's not necessarily his real history. It's a background for that story, and in The Killing Joke itself, the Joker says, "You know, sometimes I remember it one way, sometimes I remember it another. If I have to have a past, I prefer it to be multiple choice." Right. All right. Let's. We've an echo of that in the, the movie The Dark Knight. Right, and I we love that. We love that movie. So what is your first memory of Batman? It's like when I was doing a little research on you, it, it seems like you've always had either Batman the TV show with you or you've always had a Batman comic book in your hand. Has has Batman always been in your life? Yeah, it's like, what's your first memory of the sun? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there's no answer. And it's... I mean... I don't know, it's just Batman was there. I, I knew Batman cartoons. I remember Superman showing up, but I knew there'd been some older Batman cartoons that I didn't remember as well. And even though the Adam West TV show, I mean, I may only remember it from watching it afternoons after school, but my mom says I was interested in the comic book before I saw the TV show. Hmm. That's interesting. That's very you interesting. Know, and I, I mean, I was interested in those comic books you know, before I could read. You know, I, I got to tell Neil Adams that you know his art motivated me to learn to read, so I could understand why those comic books look so much darker oh, wow, than the Adams TV show it led me to expect. That's awesome. So, like, you you were into the comic books and stuff. So, you did you like frequent the comic book shops in your hometown and stuff, or were you did you have to like drive out of the way to get to one? Or well, when I was a kid, comic books were everywhere. Okay. 
You, know, it's, you didn't have to go to a comic shop. You could get them at the grocery store. Right. On the rack, yeah, the spinning racks and all that. Like, Yeah, it was when I was in college when things got to shifting to comic shops. And which was you know, fortunate because before that I really had not lived near a comic shop. When I was in college, there was a comic shop that was convenient for me. But I don't live anywhere near one now, so it's it's not that convenient. So I, I, it's haphazard on what titles I keep up with, unless they're by subscription. Okay. Okay. I've got I've got subscriptions to you know more than two dozen comic books. Oh wow! Yeah, you. I, I whenever I'm when I was reading some of your book, I. Everyone kept on telling me, you know, look at his Walking Dead stuff. And you're, I love reading about your Walking Dead stuff and then all the, like, other companion stuff when it had the, the psychology of the villains and everything. It's really it's really interesting stuff. Um, something that I've always wondered, um, and you kind of talk about it, and you, you really, really talk about it in your book, but who is the real person? Is it Bruce Wayne or is it Batman? Who, whenever, you know... Bruce is whenever Bruce looks in the mirror or Batman looks in the mirror. Who is he? Who's looking back at him? Is it Batman? Is it Bruce? Well, to me, it's a false dichotomy. Bruce Wayne is Batman. You know, it's uh, you know, is your mom really mom, or is she really wife? She's both. Uh, is uh, well, as uh, you know, what are you? Are you, are you, are you really? You know, Tom, or are you Mr. Harper? Well, I guess it depends on where you are. Stay where anybody would ever call you that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, am no. I Travis or am I Dr. Langley? It's like, you know, I, we, don't t- we don't always break ourselves down that way. We answer to whatever we answer to. Right. And it, Bruce Wayne is Batman. You know, it's not a bat whose parents got murdered in the alley when he was a small child. You know, it, it was Bruce Wayne. And generally... Now we know that he's putting on this big playboy board act when he's doing the public Bruce Wayne. Yes. And but he's also putting on an act when he's Batman, the extra scary urban legend who can't show that he can be harmed. You know, the, there's also an act there. You know, you get him at his truest when he's down in the Batcave, maybe talking to Alfred, although Kevin Conroy and I discussed this once, and he thinks it's just when he's alone. It's like, okay, but there's nobody to talk to us for us talk to for us to see him. Uh, he's down in the Batcave, the mask is off, part of the costume's on, because, you know, he is Batman. You know, in his head, he hears Batman's voice. You know, there's a really good uh, episode of, of Batman Beyond where, where somebody's messing with him, with this, this fake reality, and he knows it's not real, because the voice that was being put in his head was Bruce Wayne's. He's like, that's not the voice he hears in his head. That's an right. awesome episode. We're all huge Batman Beyond fans here. And the fact that you, not only you talked to Neil Adams, and you talked to Kevin Conroy. We, we are over here just like, our like mouths are just <laughs> dropped to the floor. We're like, okay, Neil Adams is amazing. And Kevin, and you just had like these amazing conversations with Kevin. We're like, we're, I'm blown away. <laughs> yeah, Kevin is not allowed to do convention question and answer sessions with general audiences now. Because of one that I moderated for him. <laughs> it's, uh, he, so, I did not ask him the question that got him in trouble. But <laughs> somebody from the audience asked him about an upcoming video game. And he gave away that he was doing a voice for an Arkham game when that was not supposed to be revealed yet. Oh, no. Oh, goodness. Uh, and uh, then a few, oh, like the following year, he and some others were doing. Uh, a Batman anniversary thing at uh, the Paley Center in New York. And he was taking some audience questions, as they all were. And one asked him about the game. He said, you know, I'm 
I get in so much trouble. You know, I, I, I was in a panel, you know, and, and I said something, and he looked at me and said, Tell me, this is the guy who got me in trouble. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, I, my I was not actually the one who asked the question, but I was moderating. If you go look up uh, Kevin Conroy and Arkham Game at Dallas Comic Con, there I am moderating the one where he answers the question he shouldn't have answered. Nice. We're looking it up. <laughs> For sure. Uh, like, this is crazy. Like, you have, like, like I'm so jealous of, like, Kevin Conroy, Neil Adams. Like, it's crazy. Adam West? Jeez. Oh, my goodness gracious. Wow. Well, it's, uh, well, the first sentence of chapter one is, Adam West once asked me if I thought Batman was crazy. Then Batman and Psychology, Dark and Stormy Night is my answer. No, 2009, uh, we did a Comic-Con panel on the Joker, analyzing the Joker. And uh, we recruited Michael Uslin, executive producer of the movies, who wrote Mm -hmm. the books forward. And I didn't really know Michael yet at that time. That's really when I got to know him. Um, uh, I got Jerry Robinson, creator of the Joker, or co-creator, depending how you want to word it. Uh, We got Steve Englehart to join us by phone. Uh, Steve wrote uh, the... Joker fish story from the 70s that you might know from Batman the Animated Series where the Joker mm-hmm. tries to put his face on fish and copyright fish. Mm-hmm. And for Steve, that was the perfect example of how the Joker's just crazy, although I think it's how the Joker doesn't understand copyright law. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we had all these people. I wanted somebody to represent the actors, and we were we were going to have Mark Hamill. Oh, but wow. it was getting close to convention time, and we had not gotten Mark's final confirmation. It's like, I don't think we're going to get Mark. And Adam had just been added to the list of guests for San Diego Comic-Con. So I wonder if we could get Adam. So at that time, I went through channels. Um, you know, now I could contact him directly. But uh, went through, so I went through the convention organizers, different levels of them, and then Adam Bajant and his daughter and Adam. And, and his daughter was going to – and Adam said, we're back. Yeah, he would love to join the panel and talk about Cesar Romero's work as the Joker. And he really wanted to meet Jerry Robinson. I thought that was probably a big reason why he did the panel, was to meet Jerry Robinson, because he had never met the creator of the Joker before. He had also never met Michael Houston before. I didn't know that ahead of time. So really, all that was more historic than I'd, I'd known. And you know, and Adam was going to call me that Monday. So I kept the phone here, and Adam didn't call. It's like, Batman stood me up. <laughs> it was Dan called while I was at the convention. I said, Did my dad call? I was like, No, I'll have him call. So we were in the middle of the convention when Adam West called me on my phone. And he's in the middle of making a joke when the phone goes out. <laughs> but he called back and blamed his crappy phone. And then uh, we did the panel together. He's one, you know, people have been thinking, So who would you like to meet? Well, I would like to meet Bob Kane, Bill Finger, and Adam West, but Bob Kane and Bill Finger are dead. And then I met Adam on a pretty early convention for me, so it's like, that took care of my list. Wow. Because uh, I had seen Stan. I've met, I've met Stan Lee since then. Oh, but my goodness. Adam, he's, he's a funny guy. He's also, he's very smart. And he's got some very serious opinions. He can't go two minutes without making a joke, so a lot of people don't realize how serious he can be. Okay. Uh, he's, he's got a very strong opinion. It's like, what kind of role model Batman is? And you know, he, he feels those movies are too dark. He wants a he wants a brighter, you know, the bright night. Well, he likes the camp, and he he likes the campy humor. But uh, it's also every time I've seen him since, every time we cross paths. Well, it used to be part of me would think this is gonna be the time he doesn't remember me. He's Professor Travis. How's it going, Doc? And I'm greeting him very cool. Oh yeah, it's doing well. I'm doing well, Adam. Well, in, in my head, my inner child is going. Batman knows me. <laughs> yeah, wow, that's just 
Wow. I, I don't know what to say to you now. You need to go to conventions and meet some of these people. I mean, anybody can meet these people. Yeah, the, we're going to the Motor City Comic Con, which is in uh, Detroit. Neil Adams will be there. So yep. we're going to definitely try to meet with him and just like. Because he's like one of like the Batman gods of like the comic book, so we're definitely very very excited uh, to meet with him. Um, I got a Joker question for you. Okay, so in your book, on like I'll even throw out the page. I have an underline. I have notes on it. This is on page one fifty two. The Joker defies diagnosis. His behavior. And I almost said that because I figured you're going straight to that sentence. Oh yeah, his <laughs> behavior doesn't neatly fit in. Any specific mental illness beyond his obvious psychopathy, and then you go on the on the very next page. You talk about um, he like you talk about bipolar individuals alternate between depression and the extremely energized, elated state known as mania. Mm -hmm. And on the very next page, um, you you say that the Joker is more maniacal than manic. Can you can you elaborate on that? With your well, well, of course, maniacal is not a clinical term, right? But you know, just you know, he, he's vicious, he's destructive, and he fits anything you mean by the word maniac. Where there's definitely something crazy to the guy that we can't quite define what. But the manic part, it, it, bipolar disorder is a specific condition in which, due to brain chemistry, a person is cycling between periods of depression and the extremely energized state called mania, and. If somebody's just up one day, down the next, up the next, that's not bipolar. That's, that's too rapid. That's bouncing back and forth for other reasons. Bipolar, I mean, it, it, it's a longer cycle than that. Somebody who goes through the whole cycle three times in a year, that is a rapid cycle. And so people who just bounce back and forth, that doesn't fit. Now, the Joker doesn't exactly bounce back and forth. He kind of redefines himself every day, as Frank Morrison said. But... The Joker, when he has those depressed spells, they grow more out of boredom and recent failures. And they also tend to follow when he's suffered some injuries and isn't able to get up to his old tricks. So it's very specifically tied to events, not fucking brain chemistry. So he's not bipolar. That's inter it's interesting. So... Is the Joker your favorite Batman villain? Do you have a favorite Batman villain? Because it, like that, that answer, I'll, like just dropping the psychology knowledge on all of us. Well, one, you don't necessarily have to have a favorite anything. You know, it's like you, you don't have to choose a favorite. Uh, it depends on what mood I'm in. It's you know, the Joker. It's easy to write a good Joker story. There's so many different things you do with that character. It's a rich, creative, complicated character with many different takes. You know, every single version of the Joker comes across as, as pretty legitimate. It's hard to say that's not the Joker because he's got such range. The Riddler does not have that kind of range. Uh, the, the Riddler a, a, has a more narrow range of what you can do with the character. And, and I, I mean, I find the Riddler very interesting. I like the character. It's hard to write a good Riddler story. I acknowledge that because of the very particular things about the character. Yeah. But when, it, when, when it's done well... The Riddler is also very good at um, making a contrast for other characters. Like, the Joker talking to the Riddler. Interesting conversations. You get a bit more of the Joker's actual thoughts about things when he's talking to the Riddler. And the Riddler, one of my favorite things with the Riddler was when he was no longer 
the supervillain. He was a former supervillain who was this narcissistic detective. And there were just really interesting things going on with that character. I would love to have seen a Christopher Nolan Riddler. Yes. I would so seriously love to have seen a Christopher Nolan Riddler. People who bring up that would want to have seen a Christopher Nolan Penguin. Okay, but just about anybody can do any version of the Penguin. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I would love to see a Christopher Nolan version of the Riddler. I think he would have added so much more to that character than other creators necessarily could have. Right. Did you look at? Have you watched Gotham? Yeah, we we we. And it's like they've done lots with the Penguin because the, the Penguin it, it has more diversity to the character. They've been limited in what they're doing with the Riddler. In fact, a lot of fans kind of when the Riddler shows up because of it being such a narrow range of what they're doing with him. You need somebody really talented telling the story. It's somebody who knows what they're doing to do a good job with the Riddler. Nolan would have done it. Right. Yeah. Did you get a chance to read the Zero Year oh uh, storyline by Scott Snyder where they do that that awesome, that amazing uh, Riddler story arc? Did you get a chance to read that? Yeah. Scott Snyder loved the Riddler. Uh, you know, he, he, did a, he did a convention panel with uh, me and Danny Fingeroff before that story finally came out. Actually, about a year before that story came out. He had been looking forward to writing the Riddler for such a long time. He was so eager to tell the story. Um my favorite moments with the Riddler are before he gets so extreme, before he's doing the wild supervillain stuff, when it's uh, just him talking to the Joker at Arkham Asylum, or him kind of annoying Bruce Wayne right after Bruce Wayne shows up early in uh, Zero Year. As I think, those are some really interesting character moments with the Riddler. Right. So, would you? What did you think? It's. What did you think about Jim Carrey's portrayal? Of the Riddler in Batman Forever. That was a Jim Carrey channeling of some of Frank Gorshin. It's. Uh, uh, it suited the story they were telling. That's about as much as I can give that one. Right. Um, no, for the story they were telling, Carrey did a fine job. He did. Uh, he, he brought in the Frank Gorshin movements and laughter. You know, he was very much doing a Frank Gorshin kind of laugh at the Riddler. And then he's playing him. It's a creepy. And was, when you get into the science fiction with the brain drain thing, it's like, okay, now we've moved out of the range of what we normally expect with the Riddler. The Riddler, right. the Riddler is about is this cognitively oriented character in terms of the challenge, not just in terms of scientific intellect. So they moved outside the character on, in that regard. Right. And it, yeah. seemed, it seemed like... Like like you said, like Jim Carrey was really channeling Jim Carrey and Frank Gorshin, yeah. and like for me when I when I watched that, it was I was missing that intellectual battle between Bruce and Edward Nigma, and like we're, 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 okay. we're missing that in all the movies. None of the movies have made Batman smart enough. Right. Batman Forever tried, but in the, kind of the wrong way. When he's suddenly spouting scientific stuff, well, only a laser the brain could accomplish such a thing. It's like you're, you're, you're making a Tony Stark kind of science sci-fi. That's not the way to make Batman smarter. Show us the great detective. Right. They kind of they kind of get there with the Dark Knight, but even then, it was like there wasn't enough of it. I feel like mm. other than the comic books, obviously, the Batman the animated series really. Was a like they really honed in on the detective work detective, yep. from like the yep. from the writing of Paul Dini and all those other guys, you know, from yeah, Bruce. That, 
Batman the Animated Series had the advantage of those half-hour episodes, occasionally a two-parter, but they got to tell the smaller stories that really played at Batman's strengths. It's like, here's a villain, he's making trouble, challenge, making things difficult, get better, Batman solves the crime. Right. Uh, that's played at Batman's strength. When you have the movie, you don't get to tell the small story. Every single one has to be epic. The whole city has to be in danger every single time. Gosh, which, which Batman movie does not fit that? Um, Batman and Robin? No, 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 the city got frozen. That's awesome. Batman, the Joker's trying to just get laughing gas, terrorizing everything. And, you know, Batman Forever. Batman Forever wasn't quite as much a danger to the entire city, but you know, it, 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 it was making trouble for the city, but not quite the same. Way. That island but, was making Batman trouble. Batman Forever brain drain everybody. <laughs> Batman and Batman Ampersand Robin freeze everybody. <laughs> Batman begins. Batman everybody. Uh, the Dark Knight terrorizes everybody. Um, oh, and then Dark Knight rises. Hold everybody hostage. They all have to do these epic stories, and there's definitely a place for the epic stories. But Batman is also about quickly being a detective solving a case. And Batman, the animated series, got to do that in a way that none of these others got to. Oh, well, okay. I, I suppose the animated TV show got to do that. That's true. Uh, but that's been a while, and it wasn't exactly... You know, your, your modern series, Batman. All right, uh, let's, uh, let's move on to another topic. Uh, in your book, you talk about PTSD and how after the murder of Bruce's parents, it really affected him in, in the most traumatic way possible. Mm -hmm. um, do, would you say that, like, Bruce definitely has a slight manifesta manifestation of PTSD? Like, it seems like it would have PTSD. I'm sorry. You would, uh, you would think that um, it seems as if he would have PTSD in your book. Do you, like, do you think it is PTSD or is it something different? Like, do you have a different conclusion to that? Obviously, he has certain symptoms of it. He has certain symptoms, definitely. But um, people really misunderstand PTSD. There's, a lot of people make this assumption that just because somebody had a trauma and was affected by it, well, of course you're affected by it, um, but that means they have PTSD. There's a wide range of reactions. Somebody could go through a trauma and have depression. That's not PTSD. Somebody could go through trauma and develop a phobia. That's a specific kind of anxiety disorder, but if it doesn't have those other symptoms of PTSD, that's not PTSD. PTSD is a very specific set of symptoms. You have a personality change, you know, as a result of going through a trauma. You could, you, you know, maybe you become a pyromaniac because of a trauma. That's not known to happen, but uh, so, so you can have all kinds of consequences. The vast majority of people go through trauma, severe trauma without developing a mental illness as a consequence. You have people who are extremely affected by it, uh, so we got we to look at him. You know, the specific symptoms. Uh, he does not have the emotional numbing. He doesn't always show his emotions, but he has a wide range of emotions. Not just anger, not just being mad about stuff. You know, he has a wide range of emotions. He definitely does not show the avoidance symptoms. Does he avoid dark alleys? No. Does he avoid people with guns? No. You don't carry one. That's true. Uh, does, does he avoid criminals? Hell no. You know, he does not show any of those avoidance symptoms. He, he definitely has some. He has tension, but he doesn't have the recurring intrusive thoughts that interfere with his ability to function. 
he dwells on it. He does have more of a recurring intrusive thoughts than a lot of other people would, but not in maladaptive ways. You know, the people I compare him to, examples like John Walsh, you know, whose son Adam was brutally murdered. Right. And Walsh did not just let that go. Walsh became an advocate for missing children and, you know, somebody involved in his own war on crime, hunting through criminals through things like America's Most Wanted. You know, Candace Leitner, whose daughter was killed by a drunk driver. You know, she swore her version of the Batman vow when she was so appalled by the light sentence that drunk driver got, and she formed Mothers Against Drunk Drivers, now called Mothers Against Drunk Driving. You know, Ellie Wiesel, you know, who for 10 years would not talk about what happened to him and his family in the Holocaust. You know, then began writing about it, talking about it, and, and helping others make sense of it. He won Nobel Prize. In fact, the use of the word Holocaust in that context goes back to him. You didn't have to ask which Holocaust I was talking about. I was the ones that have happened through history. You know. Right. Mm -hmm. So post-traumatic growth is a phenomenon where some of us have some post-traumatic symptoms, definitely. But it helps them find their life's missions and find meaning in life. And they channel whatever part of the pain they're hanging on to. And it's definitely, you know, it can be beyond what other people are, are holding on to. The part that they're hanging on with more than normal, it's not crushing them. It's not interfering with them functioning at their priorities in life. At that man's priorities in life, nobody functions better. You know, who's going to fall for a part first in a crisis? You or Batman? Not Batman. No. Right. So, which... Uh... Out of all the films that we have, all the all the portrayals of Batman on film, um, which series do you think got the uh, the psychology of Batman right? Do you think it's happened yet, or do you, do you no. Think, no, no, that's the one that comes closest. I think is Batman Begins. Okay, and the Dark Knight does a pretty darn good job, um, although you know he gets a little mopey, but um, definitely you not see that so until the Dark Knight Rises. Um, if you just, I, it's easier to go with specific movies than series. Uh, because what there's only been well unless we're talking the old movie serials we've only had two series that's true series. yeah right well, that's, that's when we treat the Burton movies and the Schumacher movies as one series they are but you know they're also different um, you know I, all I have to do is say the Burton movies and the Schumacher movies and you immediately have two very different pictures in your head yeah, of what definitely. movies you know there is a continuity that goes through the four of them right you know, with the, uh, with the, the, the Nolan yeah. movies, you know, I do have that concern about, it's like, Batman's not smart enough in those movies. But, you know, those first two really capture the character better than anything else ever had before. Well, that's why Batman Begins is my favorite Batman movie. It's the first one where you really got a sense of him as a human being and as the guy who can be Batman. Yeah. The, the Dark Knight Rises, he goes off and books for eight years. Which is insane. see Clint Eastwood as old Bruce. That's what we're hoping for. Um, my ne the next question, I like Batman takes on many, has many roles, but an, a role that he kind of has is 
he, I wouldn't say he recruits um, wards like Robin. Um, do you think it's healthy for for someone like Bruce slash Batman to uh, to take on a character like Dick Grayson, who's seen like the murder of his f family, um, or like Jason Todd, Tim Drake? Do you think it's healthy for a character like Batman to go out of his way to kind of do that? Do you think that he does that to kind of like get over some of his own childhood trauma? Well, that one's a tricky one, because as he's usually written, we have to kind of uh, skip one thing Frank Miller wrote, um, you know, the Batman and Robin the Boy Wonder comic, but yeah. as he's usually written, Batman does not seek any of these kids out. They all want to fight crime, and he initially resists every single one of them. Admittedly, with uh, uh, Dick Grayson in the very first story, he only resists for like uh, you know, half a nar narrative box. Uh, I was like, oh yes, he thinks back to when he too uh, saw his parents get killed, and then his text says pretty much, his dialogue says pretty much the same thing. Oh yeah, my parents got killed too. All right, uh, <laughs> yeah, Tim wanted to go fight the crime. Uh, Jason Todd wanted to fight the crime. Batman told him no, and kept telling him no. And it's like, okay, but if you're going to do this stuff, you're going to do it safely. I need to train you. Or you're going to get hurt. And, uh, it's you know with a different, each version of Jason Todd. We have different versions of Jason Todd. The, as Jason Todd was originally introduced, you know, he's another circus kid who Dick Rain, Grayson met first. And his, his parents have already been killed before Batman even meets him, as he's originally written. You know, we mainly know when he got reintroduced as the kid stealing tires from the Batmobile. Yep. And mm -hmm. Batman did not want to make him the sidekick. Jason wanted to be the sidekick. Jason had to keep butting in on cases for Batman to say, you know what, he's going to get himself killed if I don't give him some training to do this right. And uh, so it just uh, Tim Drake. Batman said, No, you're not Robin. No, you're not Robin. Well, okay, but I'm going to train you so you can be Robin safely. Stephanie Brown, go away, go away, go away. Okay, you can be Robin. Nope, you're fired. Of course. And then, then Damien's a different story. But Batman was not the one to turn Damien into Robin. Dick Grayson was. And so he's already Robin before. Bruce comes back from the dead and finds, oh, well, that's, uh, Damien's been Robin. Okay. So he didn't choose any of them. They chose him. They chose, the, or somebody else chose them to be in that role. And he resists and then decides, okay, I need, these are kids who already have a bunch of abilities, who already have big issues. And if they don't get some guidance, it's actually one of the better lines from Batman Forever when um, Alfred you know, tells Bruce Wayne, you know, that, uh, you know, young men, you know, like the, like the vengeance-seeking uh, Chris O'Donnell, Dick Grayson, uh, they need guidance. And that role makes sense. You know, it's like somebody doing the big brother thing to help the kid channel their efforts. Okay, they're going to be doing these things. Let's channel them in a more constructive direction. Yeah. It's not all about that, of course. You know, otherwise, why does he keep being kids who look like him when his parents died? You know? <laughs> it is also about his own personal wish fulfillment, about wanting them to have a better path than he had. Some of it is vicariously having a, a personal better childhood by helping them have a better path where they can have a balance between being the crime fighter and having a life. When he was growing up, he didn't have another life. 
It was all about the mission. You know, it's like you have four, age 14, he goes off and travels the world for eight years. I know in Batman Begins, it's not till college, but it, as, as Denny wrote it, it's age 14. He goes off, travels the world for eight years to train with all these other individuals. So he missed out on all kinds of, you know, common life experiences. Child things, yeah. You know, Dick Grayson grows up to be, in many ways, Bruce Wayne's hopes and dreams fulfilled. You know, he has a better balance. Sometimes it's hard to maintain the balance, but he has a much better balance between being himself as a regular person and being the crime fighter. Nightwing, yeah. At least until they turn him into, you know, the, the Mission Impossible guys he's been lately, but that's a different issue. That's <laughs> <laughs> going to be forgotten in time. <laughs> Alright, so let's, uh, let's imagine a scenario where Bruce did not ever have Alfred in his life and he was put into a foster home and like, what, what kind of effect do you think that would have had on Bruce's life if that were the case? Okay. Well, one, it wouldn't have been a random foster home because he was the Prince of Gotham. <laughs> right. But, uh, okay, until the 80s, it wasn't Alfred. Yeah. It, it, until the 80s, it was not Alfred. It was his Uncle Philip. And before Scott Snyder wrote it, uh, Uncle Philip was Philip Wayne. Now, Snyder's version of Uncle Philip is that he's mom's family. But uh, okay. Uncle Philip was the person Bruce went to live with. And he's around these other kids, not feeling like he fits in. And, and he ends up he being even more isolated in where he wants to go in his life than when Alfred's in the story. So as he was written through most, most of his history, is generally not referred to because it's always kind of felt like Bruce Wayne raised himself. And he, he found his mission. He became Batman with or without Alfred. So just you, you think it's that was just the path that was set for him to be Batman. Well, that's the path he set for himself. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, right. Yeah. It, well, he in your book you say that the, that the moment if I I, I apologize if I'm quoting paraphrasing. It, para, I'm paraphrasing par, paraphrasing it. Um, you said that uh the moment that Bruce's parents were murdered, he became Batman. Like that was his mission. Like he, like he made the right after he made the vow, and then he, you know, went off and he trained and he became like this super highly intelligent ninja who could kick the crap out of fifty people at once, if just depending on that. So it's very interesting to see that that uh, that dichotomy. Yeah, Michael Uslan and I, uh, we've discussed this. We have a slightly different take on it. Uh, Partly because I view from the psychology of real people who've gone through trauma. Right. His view is that Bruce Wayne died the night his parents died. And that the entity that was Batman began to exist then. And, and I get that take like from a literary standpoint. But in terms of dealing with the psychology of real people, I can't see it that way. No matter what you've been through, you're still the person you were before, no matter how horribly you've trained. Mm -hmm. And even if part of you has died. In, in you're saying in your book, you know, uh, a that's the most traumatic thing, uh, you know, a child of his age could see. The most tragic, common life event. You know, there are some bizarre things that can happen, you know, like torture and, and so forth. But that falls outside the range of common life events. We all learn our parents can and will die. It will happen. Mm -hmm. uh, but for a child to have that happen and witness it, yeah, that's going to be uh, that, that, that's going to top them all because it, it rewrites life. 
you know, if, <laughs> if you're a parent and your child gets killed and you witness it, this is horrifying, and this is going to affect you in so many different ways. And, and if you're in Flashpoint, you're going to become Batman yourself. But uh, as in, in, in life, you might be more upset about that than you would be about losing your spouse or your parents. But it does not affect your life the same way it, as if you lose your spouse. Your spouse overall creates more life stress because, you know, if you lose your kid, well, okay, you've got the short-term issue, but in the long run, you, it, like, you don't have more bills when the kid's not around. Uh, there are all kinds of things you don't have to deal with, all kinds of stressors you don't have to deal with, no matter how unpleasant this is. Right, uh, right. But if you lose your spouse, you lose somebody who's contributing, maybe, maybe the other income to the family or taking care of things while you take care of things. It's just so many other stressors figure into life with an adult. With the kid, it's losing the parents, especially if it's both parents, because then they don't even know where they are, where they belong right away. Their whole life has been ripped out from under them. I think we're we're gonna have one more question unless you guys have any other questions. Um, my final question for me is: um, Is Bruce Wayne crazy? I know you talk about the end of the at the end of your book, and and is Batman a manifestation of his craziness? All right, there's a really good line Scott Snyder wrote in uh, Zero Year. It's early in, I don't know, the third or fourth issue of the story, maybe third, where Bruce is saying to Alfred that what he's embarking on is crazy. He mm -hmm. knows it's crazy. He's deliberately doing something crazy-seeming in order to use it to scare the hell out of the bad guys, to shake things up in a city with the most corrupt police force in the nation, and where you know the judges and politicians are either corrupt or afraid to stir things up. He knows he's doing something crazy. It's a deliberate choice he's making. And so when you go to that question of, is Batman crazy? You've got to judge him in the context of the world he lives in. It's like right. when Adam West asked me that, it was we had just done our uh, 2009 panel, and we were talking back to uh, his uh, table afterwards, and he said, I, I, I don't like to use a word as crass as this. I know it's not the correct clinical term or anything, but you know, in, in your view, is Batman crazy? And the reply I gave him was, not for the world he lives in. And you really have to judge it in the context of the world he lives in. And keep in mind, crazy is not a clinical term. You know, you can call it whatever you want. It's like, no, this is still a pretty weird thing he's doing. Oh, well, that's true. But, but he knows it's a weird thing he's doing, and he's got specific purposes for doing it. And in there was a psychiatrist who wrote to me when my book came out. He'd had a journal article in which he says Batman has PTSD. He'd written it about two years before, but then the journal waited and had it come out this summer of The Dark Knight Rises, same summer my book came out, which I'd also waited on. And he wanted to argue with me about this because he wrote his journal article and just flat said Batman has PTSD. And I was like, well, not as he's normally depicted. But he was mixing different versions. Like he was pulling the repression from Batman Forever. It's like, okay, if you want to diagnose the Batman Forever example, that's fine. Diagnose the Batman Forever Batman. Mm -hmm. But that's not typical of Batman. As he's normally written, Batman has not repressed anything about his parents' murder. He remembers it really, really well. You know, there's, 
There's no repressions. If you want to diagnose the Batman Forever version, fine. If you want to mix and match the versions, you need to try to pull together the examples of what are typical of Batman. And, you know, we went back and forth on this, and finally the guy's uh, last email was, well, if somebody like this came into my office, you know, showing these behaviors, I've got you. If somebody came into your office doing this, though, that would not be Batman. Batman right. Acting like Batman in our world. Right, and right. That's not the same thing as being Batman in his world. Like, Nolan created a world that's very close to ours, and it feels very real, but it's not quite our world. You know, it's a world where there's a League of Shadows, a whole big ninja assassin organization that's ready to tear into Gotham to make some kind of weird point. You know, there's this microwave emitter device where there's this red blue flower that can be used for all these different things. So there's a lot of science fiction in it. Uh, there's, you know, there are elements that step outside our world a little bit, but we accept most of them because Morgan Freeman tells us they're real. <laughs> Anything Morgan Freeman says is true. <laughs> Haven't you been on the internet? <laughs> That's awesome. What's that? What's your favorite version of Batman? Oh, oh, awesome question. Uh, favorite, if you can't quite pick the favorite. Well, mine off. Mine has to be Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Rises. It's just Dark Knight Returns. Like it's, it's always been my favorite since I was a kid. The first time I read it, it just it stuck with me ever since. I love it. For, for me, it would have to be. It's. I'd have to say Batman the Animated Series and Batman Beyond. Like the, those, like have been cemented. Like th that's what I kind of grew up on. Um, you know, I, I watch. I remember watching Batman '89, but like I always have gravitated towards the animated series and Batman Beyond because I got everything. You can you can get everything out of the best of Batman with it, with the detective work, the action sequences, the love interest. You know that, and that goes with the you know mask of the phantasm and Re return of the joker so it have to be the, the bruce tim paul dini batman stuff kyle uh, i'm gonna have to go with christian bale's batman i personally just feel like his batman role was like the most cemented in realism which i could really appreciate the way that was all depicted but you, what about that voice though kyle i like to think it doesn't exist <laughs> <laughs> I'm just glad nobody said Batman and Robin. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. That's, that's I mean, an abomination. I mean, not even George Clooney likes that. <laughs> He's admitted to it. Damn. <laughs> um, before we wrap things up, Dr. Langley, is there any uh, anything you're working on? Anything you'd like to uh, talk about? Let people know about? <laughs> oh, gosh. I've got so much stuff going on. Awesome. Uh, um, right now, we're... Uh, sending the Walking Dead psychology, Psych of the Living Dead, into production. Nice, oh, very nice. amazing. We are doing the final edits on Star Wars psychology, Dark Side of the Mind. Oh my god! And then we're going to get rolling on the next two, which I'm not saying until the people ready. Uh, I've got people. I'm not writing all four books by myself in one year. Uh, I'm writing, <laughs> of stuff, but I've got other psychologists are psych geeks. But it's on Facebook, the Psych Geeks. Uh, nice. It's uh, 
people who I either knew from convention panels or they're also Psychology Today bloggers. So I knew that these are individuals who know their psychology, they know popular culture, and they know how to bring them together in a way for general audiences. These individuals have done really, really well with their chapters. I'm, I'm just honored and pleased uh, to be involved with them. But uh, after after they've signed their contracts for book three, then I'll say what it is. It might rhyme with shame of bones, but I, I can't say if it does. Wow, that that all of that just sounds amazing, especially, <laughs> especially Star Wars and The Walking Dead. Yeah, that The Walking Dead. They, I mean, I know Justin is a huge fan. Of all your Walking Dead work, yeah. Um, I've, been like, I've been wanting to do that Star Wars book for four years. Four years ago, I, I pitched it to my editor. I wanted it to be the second book. I gave a list of possible, but there was no episode seven on the horizon at the time. Right. And uh, I gave my editor and my agent a list of possible topics, and they actually chose something from further down my list, which will be book four with the new publisher. And so I, I, I finally get to do that one. But I, I so seriously want to do the Star Wars book. I wanted the subtitle to be Jedi Mind Tricks. Oh, oh, that would have been so awesome. That word Jedi is trademarked. So oh, yeah. But well, we can have Star Wars in the title because we are talking about Star Wars. But then just Jedi Mind Tricks in the subtitle, even quotation marks, you know, you are using a trademark word just for window dressing. So it's like, yeah, you can't make the same kind wow. of fair use argument. I can have, we can say Star Wars Psychology and then Dark Side of the Mind. Wow. Which, you know, it's, it's been a lot of fun being involved in these. And I'm, I'm very fortunate to be at a university that supports creative ways of teaching. Yeah, right. that's that's awesome. Is there any, like, other superhero books that you really want to tap into, like Spider-Man, Superman? I want them. I want them all. <laughs> I hope you get all of them, because, I mean, just us reading through Batman, Psychology, Dark and Stormy Night, I mean, it's it's awesome. Like, it, it's, I don't want to put it down when I started reading it. It just... It was, like, it, like I said, it's one of my new favorite books. I and mean, for people out there, like, don't be turned off about psychology in the title because it's, it's not a hard read. Like, you will understand what's going on. It's broken down so even my dumbass can understand it. So... <laughs> exactly. And I, I really thank you for that. And... Oh. But I, I think we're going to wrap it up for Shamlene on Batman. On uh, on behalf of Dr. Travis Langley and Shamlene on Batman, I'm Justin Shamlin. Kyle Davis. Tom Harper. Thanks Tom a lot. Batman. I am the knight. I am Batman.